a couple weeks ago, we began to look at what it means to be a good neighbor, right? Because Jesus is asked this question uh, by one of the folks in the crowd, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And do you remember how Jesus answered? He said to what? To love the Lord your God, right? Or the answer is no, right? <laughs> no, I don't remember, all right? Do you remember? Jesus said what? <laughs> I miss responsive readings. <laughs> and then, all right, and then he said, the second's just like it, right? And that is, love your neighbor as yourself, right? That's what we're looking at. To be, and to be sure, Jesus tells a story. So in the setup of this whole thing, Jesus then follows that up with a story that we call the Good Samaritan so that we would understand and the people of his day would understand that our neighbor isn't merely the people who live next door to us, but anyone that we find in need, right? That's the whole point of that story. But to make sure we don't miss this, we do have neighbors who live next door to us, all right? This year, we sent a team to Haiti. You just, Nick was just talking about that. And, uh, and if you get a chance to go on one of these trips, gosh, I hope that you will. We're going to send a team to Brazil. We're going to send a team to Mexico later this year. And here's what I think is possible. When we serve our neighbors in other parts of the world, it's possible to look past the neighbors who live right next to you. Does that make sense? When you're looking so far away, it's possible to look over the people who live next door to you. So put something on your bulletin, your notes. I wanted to make sure that you took with you. Uh, so if you have it on your bulletin, turn to the notes page. Second thing, just whoa. All right. Just under the scripture that we're looking at is this quote, the light that shines farthest shines brightest at home. So the last couple of weeks, in case you weren't here, we handed out this chart of your neighborhood. This is actually your neighborhood. We know where you live, um, and that's you right there in the middle. These are the people who live across the street from you. These are the people who live behind you, and these are the people who live on either side of you, all right? And we ask that you begin to become intentional about loving your neighbors by getting to know them, including their names, and, and praying for them. Just because the only reason for doing that, the, the, the cause of this whole thing, is because Jesus told us to do that. That's, that's why we do this. And those who wear the name of Jesus in any neighborhood should be the best neighbors there. Period. No hidden agenda. No motivation other than the reality that Jesus called us to love our neighbors. So Adam introduced the idea of this the first week, and then last week we looked at what is probably the biggest pushback uh, on this idea, which is the fear that we have, and quite frankly, the fear that our neighbors have, because we share some fears in common uh, about each other, and until we get to know each other, we have no idea if they're based on reality or not. Um, and today I want to give you a few helpful baby steps, right, to take uh, in making this reality. Uh, and, and, and quite likely you're going to be a little hesitant, we're going to talk about that uh, as well. This morning we're going to look at a story that may be familiar uh, to you. We're in Mark chapter 6. 
even if you would have no idea where to find this. So if you have your Bible, if you turn to Mark chapter 6, if you have your smart device, if you would uh, go to Mark chapter 6, and if you're using the Bible app, by the way, our notes for the message this morning are actually there already. You can just follow along with them. It's under the events page. Uh, so check that out. But it'll be helpful if you have your Bibles open, because we're going to look above our verses today just a little bit. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, by the way, there should be one like this somewhere near you. Please take that. That's our gift. If there's not one right near you, um, then we've got them out at the info desk. We want to give you one. And in this Bible, did I already say? It's page 702. Three. Two. <laughs> Three. 703. All right. Beginning to sound like March Madness up here. All right. So, uh, uh, so here's the deal. The story we're looking at today is, uh, is probably, you, without ever knowing where it is, you probably already kind of know it. You're maybe familiar with it because it made such an impact on Jesus's followers that except for the story of Jesus's resurrection, this is the only miracle that makes it in all four Gospels, okay? So let's check this out together. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And then, because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. Let's go get some rest, right? If you look earlier in Mark chapter 6, so if you have your Bible open or if your uh, app is open, look up a little bit. Two things have happened. One of them is really, really good. The other one is really difficult. We see the good news in verse 6. Jesus has sent his 12 apostles out to preach and to heal and to cast out demons, and they have now returned, and they are super excited to tell Jesus everything. Apparently, their teaching had gone over well. People are flocking to see Jesus and his disciples. So Jesus says this thing, we've got to get away. We've got to go to a quiet place and get some rest. And part of it was because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have an opportunity to get anything to eat. But there's also a very difficult reason. So one's a really good reason. Here's the difficult reason. It's in verse 14, if you have your Bible open. Jesus had just heard that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been murdered by the king. And quite frankly, it wore him down. His heart was heavy. He was excited for the 12. His heart was heavy for his cousin. It hurt. And so he wanted to, to get away. So verse 32 says, So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them and recognized them, they, they saw them leaving, and they ran on foot. They knew where they were going, so they ran on foot, right, from all the towns, and they got there ahead of Jesus and the twelve. I, you know, I can only imagine Galilee being a very difficult place to be alone. Country was only 50 miles north to south, 25 miles east to west. Historians say there were 204 towns and villages. All of them had 15,000-plus people in them. It's just hard to be by yourself in that type of a situation. But Jesus knew of a place. And they were going to go, and they were going to get a little bit of peace and quiet until the people saw where they were headed. <laughs> they kind of knew where they were going, and they took off around the lake. It was nine miles around the top of the lake. Some of them were running, and Mark says that when Jesus and the apostles step out of the boat onto the shore, there are those people, right? So let me put you in the boat. You have just rowed across the lake to get to a quiet place. You didn't start the motor I mean, you, you're not, it's not, you rode across the lake to get there. See, much needed rest. 
My guess is your plan was get a little bit of hamburger wagon so you have some nourishment, you know. And when you get to the other side, the welcoming party waiting for you are the people you're trying to get away from, all right? (laughs) What are you thinking? Don't say it out loud, all right? Verse 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began to teach them many things, right? Listen, there were times when people wanted Jesus to stay, and he wouldn't. There were times people went looking for Jesus. He was kind of hidden away, and they went looking for him, and he wouldn't let them find them. But it wasn't that way all the time. Interesting thing about the teaching that Jesus did. It says that Jesus taught them because he had what? Compassion on them. His teaching was an act of compassion. A friend of mine said, and I agree, that I've had to sit through a lot of sermons in my lifetime. You may be thinking the same thing right now. And to tell the truth, he said, I've never thought of most teaching as an act of compassion, but a punishment perhaps, but rarely ever compassion. I agree with that. But Jesus wanted to make sure that his followers cared for people like he cared for people. And so what happens next probably won't be a surprise for most of us. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. And he said, this this is a remote place. It's pretty late right now. We better send everyone away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages because they're not that far away, and they can buy themselves something to eat. And Jesus said, I'll tell you what, you give them something to eat. And I don't know what I would have been thinking if Jesus had said that to me. The people are hanging on Jesus' every word, and before you know it, it's late in the day, supper time for all of these people, and the disciples are thinking to themselves, thank goodness it's supper time, because that means it's quitting time, right? We get to go home, uh, and it's time for these people to go. I love this quote, it's on your notes. Tact is the ability to make people feel at home when you wish they were. The disciples did not have tact. They wanted these people to go home. They were done. Keep in mind, listen, they had just come back from this this great opportunity they had of preaching and healing and casting out demons. Listen, they were tired. I don't know if you get that way or not. You know, even on a Sunday, hey, listen, I taught in a children's class today. I was outnumbered in there. I'm tired. I was running the soundboard. Do you know how crazy that I've been part of the praise? I was a greeter. I handed out bulletins and smiled all morning. I went, I went to church and had to listen to that guy up front for 25 minutes. I'm done. And I think I've said this before. I think it's huge. Sunday mornings are the biggest things we do around here they're not the most important. And don't get me wrong, I'm not diminishing the importance of our being together. What happens in the classrooms, adult and children classrooms, I hope that has a profound effect on you. The things that happen in this room, what we sing, what we remember, what we give to, what we, what we hear, I hope it has a profound effect on you as well. But if we think being a Christian is just about going to church, we've missed the point. On your note, going to church and being the church are not the same thing. The Bible teaches that coming to church is supposed to help me be the church, which, by the way, takes us right into the first baby step that we need to make sure that we get. If I'm going to be a good neighbor, I have to see the people in front of me like Jesus does, the people who are right in front of me. Jim, uh, 
Jim Parker was the CEO of Southwest Airlines, and he said that their company's hiring process involved at least a half a dozen uh, interviews with the prospects. However, they don't in include any aptitude teaching, which I think is interesting. He said, we don't care much about education and experience because we can train anyone to do anything that we need done. What we look for is listening, caring, smiling, warm people, which is interesting because I think that's what Jesus looks for in his followers as well, right? Listening, caring, smiling, warm people. On your notes, it says this, the way we treat other people indicates what we really believe about God. So back to the great commandment. It's interesting to me that when Jesus is asked what's the greatest commandment, he cannot separate loving God from loving other people. It's like one thought follows the other without even trying. You can't separate. The more real one is to you, the more important the other one becomes to you. So the more real God is in your life, who he is, what he's like, the kind of people he's calling us to be, and our seriousness about becoming those kinds of people, the more real, this, the more important that task of loving our neighbors becomes. Listen, that means you actually see the people God has put right in front of you, or right behind you, or on either side of where you live. Verse 37, they said to him, you got to be kidding me. Actually, they didn't say that. They just thought that. That would take more than half a year's wages. Are, are, do you expect us to go and spend that much on bread and then just give it to them to eat? And Jesus said, no, no, no. How many loaves do you have? Go and find out. And when they found out, they said, we have five loaves and two fish. So they find out, they come back and they report to Jesus and they say, we have five loaves, but the good news is we can supplement that with these two little fish right here. Basically, they're saying, listen, we got nothing, all right? We got nothing to do about this. So it's no wonder they said that. They do this quick estimate of the crowd, and the Bible tells us that they, do, they run the numbers very quickly. It's going to cost a half year, so whatever you make in a year, half of that to feed this crowd. And quite frankly, they did not have that kind of money lying around. And so Jesus says, you feed them. And I don't know what your first response would have been, but my guess it would have been similar to theirs. Because what they were saying was when they said, listen, we can't do anything about this. They're buying into this myth that many of us who follow Jesus buy into when it comes to meeting the real needs of the real world, not pretend, not fantasy land, the real world around us. I just don't have what it takes. I don't have the money. I don't have the time. I don't have the expertise. I don't have what it takes to make a dent in this, because we think the key to touching the lives of people around us is based on what we have and what we don't have, which, by the way, is a second baby step. It's a move in the right direction for us. You ready? Being a good neighbor means giving what I have. We know that this food would feed only a few people. Have you ever wondered? <laughs> did, they feel seal, did they feel silly giving this to Jesus? Here's what we've got. I mean, I mean it's ridiculous. But, well, I mean, I don't, I don't, what were they even, were they trying to make a point with him? I'm not sure what they were trying to do there. But what appears impossible to us does not appear that way to God at all. As a matter of fact, when, God, when Paul is talking about God in the book of Ephesians, he says, God can do anything 
you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. In their wildest dreams, do you think the 12 or even the 5,000 men, scholars speculate, if you include women and children in the count, maybe more like 15,000 people, do you think they could have ever seen coming what was about to happen? I mean, do you ever wonder what this looked like, ladies? 12 men trying to divide the loaves and the fish. Okay, so we got these things. We'll break them in half. Great. We break them in half. There's 12 of us. Now there's 14 things. How are we going to do that? We can't do that. 12 men trying to figure this out. So if they tore everything in half, they still only have half of what to, to, to feed 5,000 people, of men, that is. So, I mean, what, did it multiply in their hands somehow? Were they confident? I mean, it did multiply. Maybe, maybe it multiplied in Jesus' hands. Maybe, maybe. Maybe as they were passing it around the crowd, somehow it just grew as it went from person to person. Here's the thing. We need to not focus on the miraculous thing itself. (laughs) The point is that you take whatever it is that you have and you give it to God and let God bless it and let him worry about what you have, whether it's inadequate for the task or not, because that's God's job, not your job. As a matter of fact, the rest of that blank, if you're filling it in, it's giving what I have, not what I don't. Don't worry about what you don't have. Use what you do have. God wants us to faithfully, consistently give him what we've got, no matter how small we think it is. And then watch him do something ridiculous with what we just gave him. When you give what you have, here's what you're going to find out. Jesus is going to give you more. If you give some of your time, what you're going to find out, he doesn't give you a 25-hour day. You just, somehow it works. When you, listen, you've got this much money. I'm sorry, this is all I've got. And you give it. It's, it's kind of crazy the way he works that way. Listen, even if what you have isn't enough to solve the whole problem, have you ever thought that maybe you're not the only one God is using to solve this problem? Maybe you give your part and someone else is coming in to give their part and together your parts make a dent in this thing. Listen, trust that God will fill you up with enough to supply the need that's right in front of you and assume that he'll do it again the next time as well. And if you don't give, what you're going to find out is you have not put your play, yourself in any place to see any kind of miraculous act of God. We keep wanting to see the miraculous, and yet we resist the the ability to put ourselves in a position to see it. Look at this on your notes. Don't tell yourself you don't have what it takes. Tell yourself God can take whatever you have and do with it more than you could even imagine, even in your wildest dreams, right? Verse 39, Jesus directs them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. When he did that, he's basically acting as the father of a Jewish family, the blessing that a father spoke over the meal uh, each evening. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, who causes to come forth bread from the earth. And then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish (laughs) among them all, (laughs) right? The number of men who had eaten. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. God had them sit or Jesus had them sit down. And then he thanks God for what he had. Here's what I want you to notice. He didn't complain about what he didn't have. 
If you just have given me this, God, we really could have done the job. He thanked him for what he had, and they passed out the food until everyone, everyone was full. Five loaves, two fish. Everyone is full. And I don't know about you, I read this story, and I tend to focus on the miraculous thing that Jesus did, which is kind of the point of the story. But if all we see is what Jesus did, we miss what he did it with. Because when John tells this story, Mark doesn't give us this detail, but when John tells the story, he does. John tells us that, these, that the loaves and the fish, the bread and the fish, came from a little boy's lunch. It's just this little kid's lunch. I'm hoping they didn't give him a swirly before they took his lunch from him, you know. Uh, Peter, James, and John, you never know about those guys. Uh, here's the last takeaway, right? Being a good neighbor, if I'm going to be a good neighbor, it means I need to be consistent, so as I'm thinking through this, I had written this down months ago. You don't have to be spectacular. You just need to be consistent. Simple things over time make a big impact. And my guess is it's not even going to feel like you're doing anything. Initially, I mean, it's, it's like <laughs> this isn't even really an investment in anybody's life. It's taking 10 minutes when you pull into your garage instead of just closing your car door, walking straight into your house. Man, walk out of your garage and say hey to your neighbors. It's, it's when it gets warmer. It's taking 15 minutes to stop what you're doing when you see your neighbor and go over and just say, hey, how are you doing? It's, it's stopping long enough to ask how their kids are doing. It's, it's, it's taking enough time to sort of remember their kids' names, maybe where they are in life. Are they in school? Are they married? What's going on with them? It's ask, listen, ask how your neighbors are doing. Do you know what's going on in your neighbor's lives? It's offering to help every now and then. When you see them doing something, you might actually be able to lend them a hand with. Gosh, if I could tell you some of the crazy things I've done in our neighborhood. <laughs> and as I'm doing it, I'm thinking to myself, gosh, if our church could see me now. Uh, keep in mind that most of the changes that take place in our lives do not come through one huge moment. Our bodies change slowly. Our families change slowly. Our friendships change slowly. Of course, there can be huge breakthroughs or huge setbacks. They happen in life. But the majority of lasting change in our lives come through these consistent, regular investments. And the challenge, the challenge to simply make all of those investments, to stay in the game and just share your day-to-day -day life with the people who live closest to you and don't give up. Listen, I love that we see this in baseball one of baseball's most memorable moments, it's September 6, 1995. The Baltimore Orioles are playing the California, California Angels. It is an unforgettable game, not because the Orioles won it 4-2. to That's not what makes it memorable. The sellout crowd in Baltimore and millions of people, in particular watching this game on television, had the opportunity to witness one of the most remarkable achievements in the history of sports. On that night, September 1995, he broke this almost this unattainable, seemingly unattainable record. What began on May 30th, right? He played in 2,130 Ripken was the one to finally beat it. The, the record now stands at 2,632 consecutive games. And let it be said, the, and the biggest outpouring of emotion came after the fifth inning. When the game became the official, star. 
crowd didn't stop cheering for 22 minutes. Think about that. The game has stopped for 22 minutes because they're cheering. And they weren't cheering for someone who hit the most home runs of all time. They were the, are the highest batting uh, average they, 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 for the career. They weren't cheering for someone who had just pitched, right? The perfect game. Ripken had dedicated, they were celebrating him wildly for 22 minutes, not for a single achievement, but rather for an achievement of endurance. On that night, sport fans everywhere passionately recognized it for 14 straight years. 14 straight years. He played in every single game of every single season. He just showed up and he did his job. I just want to say, no one's going to applaud you for 22 minutes because you show up with your neighbors. <laughs> get a grip, right? But what you might get, which you won't hear immediately, but my guess is one day you will, is the applause of one. Because you made a difference in someone else's life in his name. And you will get the applause of the one that counts the most. You know, Rich McKinley is our executive pastor. He was in California at a conference. I think this happened 12 years ago. The idea of this uh, was being shared at that conference. So this isn't a new idea. We didn't make this up. This has been around for at least a decade, maybe more. Uh, and uh, so he has the, the speaker is presenting this idea, talking about his neighbors, and Rich is feeling sick to his stomach. He's, he's being convicted because he knows he can't fill the thing out. He doesn't know the names of his neighbors. And so as he's leaving the conference, he's flying back home. He has a layover in Chicago, and he's praying. In, he's, in this, he's in the Chicago airport praying to God to make opportunities for him to meet his neighbors because he just feels sick about this, and that is horrible, and he's a pastor, and he should know better. And he's sitting in the Chicago airport praying, and a guy comes up to him and says, Hey, are you from Miamisburg? <laughs> and I don't know what you do when people, you know, if you've ever had that kind of thing happen. But Rich, is, Rich said his first thought was, oh, man, do they go to our church? Um, and, and what are they doing in the Chicago airport? How do they, you know? Uh, his second thought is because he's the chaplain for our police department here is, or did I meet them through the police? Oh, no, did we pull this guy over, you know? Ah! Uh, and so it could be a really awkward moment. And then the, but the guy, he goes, listen, do you live on Terrington Place, which is the neighbor? I mean, that's the neighborhood. That's the street. And Rich is going, okay, this is getting a little creepy, all right, because this guy knows where I live. You have a big black dog and a basketball hoop in your front yard? And Rich, the guy says, I live two doors down from you. Chicago airport. Rich is asking God to open an opportunity for him to get to know his neighbors. Let me, do you think God is interested in you loving your neighbors? You know, what his son said was the second most important commandment, just south of loving God himself. Because if you believe that that's what God thinks, if you, thinks he, if you think he's really interested in you getting to know your neighbors and praying for them and just being an influence for the sake of his kingdom in their life, here's the thing. We will have magnets at the doors. If you did not get one over the last couple of weeks, please take this. This isn't some passing fad. This is just something we hope you'll do, and then we'll forget about it. Put this on your refrigerator. 
fill it in as best as you can. And by the way, this neighbor over here uh, is not the neighbor with the really tall grass that never cuts it. That's not their name. Uh, this one over here is not the guy who has a car broken down in his front yard. That's not who that person is. Put their name on here. First and last, if you can. Can you put the name of their children on your chart? Do you know anything about them? Can you, will you pray for them by name that God will open, open opportunities? Listen, you're not doing this so they come to know Jesus. You're doing this because you do know Jesus. And he said, be a good neighbor. He says, as a matter of fact, love your neighbor. Don't even just be a good acquaintance. Just don't, don't be just the not annoying person who lives next door. He's saying, love them. Like you love yourself, love your neighbor. So pray for them by name. And I just want to say, if you need to make a commitment to Jesus, because the most important thing here today isn't your relationship with your neighbor. It's your relationship with your father. And if you've never made that commitment to him, man, we want to help you do that. So I'll be right up here this morning afterwards. If you want to talk about that, we will set that up at the top of your notes. The light that shines farthest, it shines brightest at home. And I just want to say it's how Jesus plans to change the world. We are going to continue sending groups outside of the United States, across the United States. We want to make a difference in people's lives all over the place. But if we're going to shine brightly away, we better shine brightest right here. Listen, what we stand. We're going to pray, and I'm going to send you out to change the world. God, use us, we pray. This, this, what Jesus does when he talks to people 2,000 years ago, and how it fits right into to our lives today, it's like his words are timeless. And God, we pray in your name, we will be the neighbor in our, on our street, in the, in, the, in the lives of the people around us, that we will be the neighbor that gets to know the others by name and prays for them. And if it's possible, if you open up a moment where we can share something that helps them see you even more clearly through our words and we talk about how important you are to us or where we go to church or any of those kind of things with Easter coming up, maybe invite them to Easter services, any of those things. But God, that's not why we're doing this. We want to do this just because we're following your son. And this is what he told us to do. This is who he called us to be. This is the type of life he called us to live. And so, God, may we invest the time and help other people see you just because they know us. And we pray this through your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, let's go change the world.